It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome into Outkick the Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. I hope you're having a fantastic Monday wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. I am Clay Travis and I am gearing up to go get my kids and fingers crossed we're going to end up being able to play some Little League Baseball tonight. I don't know about you guys, um, but if you have kids or you're trying to play baseball in the spring, certainly if you're anywhere in the southeast where I live, I saw my buddy Jeff Schwartz tweet this. Uh, He lives in Charlotte, in the North Carolina area, and he said, and I think a lot of parents are going to agree, it feels like every day when there's not a baseball game scheduled, everything goes flawless. And then uh, it simultaneously feels like uh, whenever you've got a baseball game scheduled, there's a rainstorm. And so I've got baseball games on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. uh, As we roll into the uh, Easter holiday week, lots of different activities going on there. And so I hope we're going to be able to get some of these games in. Um, Masters. So much fun to watch. Congratulations to Scotty Scheffler on getting the win. But I feel ultimately like the biggest winner in many respects was Tiger Woods because Tiger found a way to finish 14 or 15 months after a injury to his leg that was so devastating. Many people question whether he'd ever walk again. Credit to his doctors, to his medical staff. He spent three months in bed not even being able to hardly get out. And that was amazing uh, to see him able to walk Augusta four straight days, uh, even though he didn't play at the level that I think he would have hoped. He made the cut, which I didn't anticipate. I would have bet against Tiger making the cut, even though I have immense respect for his overall golf game. Uh, But Scotty Scheffler getting the win, 25 years old. Thought it was fantastic. I always love seeing the golfers come off uh, the 18th green and finding their wives or their kids or their family members, mom and dad, whoever it might be. Uh, And Scotty Scheffler, the stories about how he was basically woke up that morning, didn't think he was ready, didn't think it was the time for him to be able to win a green jacket. And his wife kind of walked him through why He could just rely on his faith to help provide him the stability he needed in order to be able to perform like he did. Uh, So that was just absolutely phenomenal uh, to see the Masters there. Also, we got awful news. Uh, I believe Saturday morning, if I'm not mistaken, in fact, I'm certain it was Saturday morning, we found out that Dwayne Haskins, 24 years old, a month away from being 25, Uh, was struck and killed by a car uh, on an interstate highway in the Miami area. And, I mean, this just hits. I've, I've said this before, but once you have kids of your own, you stop following stories like these from the perspective of the son or daughter and start following it from the perspective of the parent. And I've got three boys 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 7-year-old, I cannot imagine what it feels like to get a call like this as a parent. So anytime stories like this happen, 
the first thing I think about is the parent reaction. And, and that partly is as you age, you experience these stories differently because when you're younger, you think about it from the perspective of being the person who has something bad happen to you. And as you get older and as you start to be responsible for people other than yourself, it's just devastating to think about what it would have been like for his family, for his parents in particular. Seems to have been a pretty good kid. Lots of people very fond of him at Ohio State. Still only 24 years old. Whatever you are like now, imagine how much you have evolved since you were 24 years old and the experiences that you have been fortunate enough to have. It's been 19 years since I was 24 years old. Seems like it's happened in the snap of a fingers, but it's so much different when you're 24 versus when you're 40s, 50s, 60s going forward. Um, the story turned into, in many ways, everybody is reacting with with a great deal of uh, of disappointment. It's clearly a tragedy anytime a 24-year-old dies. Uh, a lot of attention went to Adam Schefter for the tweet that he sent out about this. I thought it was poorly phrased, but what he was trying to do, let me take it outside of, uh, of Dwayne Haskins dying quickly at the age of 24. Uh, what Schefter was trying to do is what typically happens in an obituary where you sum up someone's professional life. For instance, if Mitt Romney died tomorrow, the headline on Mitt Romney's death would probably be Mitt Romney, comma, uh, who lost the 2012 presidential election and was later elected to the Senate from Utah, comma, died today at the age of whatever age it was, right? Um, and so what Adam Schefter was attempting to do was contextualize overall the life of Dwayne Haskins in a tweet. And I'm saying that about Mitt Romney losing the 2012 presidential election because that's how most people would know him. What I probably would have said if I were Schefter uh, and what I said earlier was just, hey, I presume my audience knows who Dwayne Haskins is uh, because he's a first-round quarterback who played at Ohio State and a lot of people know him at Ohio State. And then a lot of people followed his career in the NFL. If you're a first-round quarterback, I don't think you need on Twitter to be saying like who the person was. So if you wanted to say Dwayne Haskins, who was the star quarterback from Ohio State, drafted in the first round, uh, comma, died today in a tragic incident, I think that's probably the way to handle it. Uh, I understand what Schefter was trying to do. I also, look, what, what Twitter is, is very often an emotional medium, and people react angrily when news is bad, right? And they want someone to blame when something bad happens. I said the internet in general is just a big blame factory. Almost immediately, a story happens, and then people try to figure out, okay, who's to blame for why this bad thing happened? Um and, uh, and that's ultimately what the internet does. It unpacks blame. And so I understand that. Gil Brandt, I believe, was 90 years old, went on and talked about Dwayne Haskins on the NFL uh, Red Zone channel, or the, sorry, the NFL Satellite channel, I believe it was. Uh, and he got criticized. Um, you know, 90-year-old guy reacting in real time to news. I'm going to be honest with you. In many ways, I fault whoever booked him as a guest. Now, he's responsible for everything that he says, but I'm in the business of having sometimes news happen and we have to book a guest to react to it. If 
Dwayne Haskins dies, I'm not going to think, oh, you know who I need to talk to? Gil Brandt. Nothing against Gil Brandt. It's just he's a 90-year-old guy. Why do I need him on as a guest? And this is just big picture. I know a lot of people, um, a lot of people watch this show or listen to this show who may work in media, who may want to be in media in general. Bring guests on that can talk about subjects in a more intelligent way than you can. For instance, we just did Clay and Buck. I finished my my radio show. We had a couple of experts who are economists to talk about economic-related issues in a more intelligent way than Buck or I could. But if we were going to talk about Dwayne Haskins, I wouldn't have someone else on to talk about Dwayne Haskins unless they knew him really, really well. If Urban Meyer wanted to come on and talk about Dwayne Haskins, more power to him. He knows him well. If Joe Burrow wanted to come on and talk about Dwayne Haskins, more power to him. But if you're just a generalist, why does Gil Brandt know more about Dwayne Haskins than I do? It's a poor guest booking. You don't gain very much from that guest in particular. It's not like Gil Brandt has a connection to Ohio State. It's not like he's particularly well plugged in in Washington or Pittsburgh. I just think that's a poor choice of a guest. And then he didn't add anything to the show uh, that was in any way helpful based on what he said. But uh, rest in peace to Dwayne Haskins. Uh, to all of his family out there. It's an awful story. He was a fantastic college football talent to watch. The hope was that he was going to be able to put things together in in the pros. Had not happened yet. Uh, And unfortunately, we're not going to get to see, while he was still a very young quarterback, whether that was going to be possible with the Pittsburgh Steelers with a new start with a new team. Uh, The Lakers have fired Frank Vogel after failing to make the playoffs. I don't think this story is getting enough attention in the NBA. The Lakers with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook were not able to make the top 10 in the NBA's Western Conference. And I understand people out there say, well, they had a lot of injuries. If you've got those three guys and they are playing for a substantial amount of games, which they did, they only played 21 games together, but they went 11 and 10 in those games, which was not that great. This is a failure of epic proportions. And so they're looking, when we talk about blame factory, Internet's got to find somebody to blame. You can't blame LeBron. You can't blame Anthony Davis. That leaves Russell Westbrook and Frank Vogel, who I believe will both get the blame. It appears Russell Westbrook is on the trade block. We'll see how much interest there is in him uh, going forward after a year in L.A. Uh, But LeBron and Anthony Davis, unless LeBron wants out of L.A., are likely to be back. Frank Vogel and Russell Westbrook are to blame. Those are the blame factories in the NBA for why LeBron and Anthony Davis did not make uh, the playoffs. So there's a bunch of different stories out here uh, that I want to hit, uh, but this is a great one. So there, we just had one of these guests. Uh, we had uh, three guys did a fantastic study. This is up at OutKick if you want to read it, if you want to share it with any of your friends. Uh, there were three guys uh, that did an analysis of COVID responses by 50 different states. And by the way, Founding Fathers, a lot of brilliant things they did. Federalism, study it, one of the most important. That is 50 independent state laboratories able to test out a variety of different ideas to see which one may work the best. And certainly that has been in play with COVID. And there were three guys involved in doing this research paper Uh, University of Chicago economist Casey Mulligan, who was on Clay and Buck today, 
Stephen Moore, and Phil Kirpin of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. They did a study called A Final Report Card on the State's Response to COVID for the National Bureau of Economic Research. And what they found was that when you looked at health-related outcomes, that is, people who got sick and people who died, schools remaining open, which was important for young people, and the economic impact, that is, the overall rate of employment in these states, that these 10 states did the best job. Utah, according to their study, Utah did the best of any state in the nation at handling COVID. Nebraska, Vermont, Montana, South Dakota, Florida. Florida was the sixth best state at handling COVID, according to their study. New Hampshire, Maine, Arkansas, and Idaho. Okay, again, they went ahead and and evened up all of the age numbers. They went ahead and looked at schools and also economic impact. And what they found was that Florida was the best of the big states, Utah best overall. How about the 10 states that did the worst at responding to COVID? New Jersey, worst in the nation at responding to COVID according to this study. Followed by Washington, D.C., New York, New Mexico, California, and Illinois. Now, it's not a surprise if you look at the data, people are fleeing Illinois, people are fleeing California, New York, New Jersey, okay? I've said this before, but it's an argument that's almost impossible to refute. If people were really in more danger in red states with a great deal of freedom, why in the world are Florida, Tennessee, Texas, states like this overwhelmingly adding people and why were California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois overwhelmingly losing people? It's because the American public votes with their feet and they recognized that nothing was making sense in terms of the COVID restrictions. Maryland, Nevada, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania all were the 10 worst. Almost all of those places that did a poor job, blue states, blue cities, overwhelmingly the places that handled COVID the best When you consider a multi-pronged analysis, which is how adults make decisions, you can't just say, oh, let's eliminate all deaths. Because if you did take it outside of COVID, you would say nobody can drive a car anymore. Or you would say people can drive cars, but they can only go 10 or 20 miles an hour. You could eliminate all traffic deaths from car accidents almost if you put a governor on every car and you only go 20 miles an hour. But we say, hey, Driving 70, 65, 55, whatever mile per hour it is, is worth around 40,000 deaths a year. That is an externality that we are able to accept. So you have to consider the impact not only of health from COVID, but also of shutting down schools and also of shutting down economies. Because you can try the zero COVID policy, but look at what's going on in Shanghai right now. 25 million people, second largest city in China, they've been shut down for over a week. They're not allowed to go outside to buy food, to walk their dogs, nothing. And people are starting to go crazy in Shanghai over these restrictions. They're starting to be uh, people who are uprising against the Chinese government. And this is significant because initially the Chinese government tried to argue that COVID 
demonstrated the failures of Western democracies, but for the most part, Western democracies, particularly the United States, thanks to federalism, were able to reach decent results in terms of economy, in terms of schooling, and in terms of overall health, while China is still trying to implement zero COVID, which, by the way, is not supported in any way based on New Zealand and Australia, who were other places that tried to embrace uh, zero COVID. So uh, this is a total mess. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And right after that, we'll continue the discussion. But first, a momentary break. Also a total mess is that the CDC is potentially going to continue the airline mask mandate according to Biden's advisors who spoke today. And just over an hour ago, the city of Philadelphia brought back its mask mandate indoors. So if you thought masks were going away, the city of Philadelphia, we'll see if any other cities follow suit, has now brought back its mask mandate. It's totally illogical. It makes no impact based on all the data, yet they are continuing to try to defend it. I saw this story and I thought it was interesting. Kmart. Do you remember when Kmart and uh, Walmart were in a real battle over who was going to win? I remember being a kid in the 80s. I think some of you will remember the 1970s, early 90s battle. Kmart is now down to three stores. It's a little bit like the Blockbuster versus Netflix battle. Uh, Business Wars, by the way, fun podcast that discusses these. Kmart is down to only three stores now in the United States. They are effectively done as a major brand uh, worth paying attention to how exactly everything has fallen apart with Kmart. Um, Elon Musk. Elon Musk, late on Sunday night, news came down that Elon Musk was not going to join the Twitter board. I encourage Elon Musk to not join the Twitter board. I actually like this more because as part of his agreement with the Twitter board, he was acknowledging that he was not going to buy more than 14% of the company. So I want you to listen carefully. I made this argument on Clay and Buck. If you are a billionaire right now in the United States and you believe in free speech and you believe in the marketplace of ideas and you believe that our uh, debate should be robust and uninhibited, I want you to listen to me carefully. The best way you could spend your money is by buying Twitter and reinstituting free market First Amendment principles to allow the marketplace of ideas to truly flourish. Buy that company. It is the best impact you could have. Now, I understand some of you out there saying, I'm done with Twitter, I'm on to Parler, or I'm on to Getter. The challenge is, So many people are not going to be leaving Twitter, okay? So, if you want to have the largest possible impact 
on discussion, on debate, on the marketplace of ideas in this country, the best thing you could do is to go join with Elon Musk and buy Twitter. Now, maybe Elon Musk, now that he's not going to be on the board, and he sent a bunch of tweets over the weekend that may not have been popular, but he has a fiduciary duty if he's a member of the board on a level that he doesn't have with his 80 million followers on Twitter. Maybe Elon Musk is going to go buy the whole company himself and decide to replace everybody on the board. Maybe that's his plan going forward. But if he doesn't want to spend the 30 or $40 billion to buy majority control of this company or go bring together other majority stakeholders to join him in this, other billionaires should. Join Elon Musk, go buy 50% plus a scintilla to take control of Twitter and run it as a marketplace of ideas. As my friend Buck Sexton says, our show tries to be an unsinkable aircraft carrier of free debate and expression. That would be a tremendous impact because it would influence other social media sites and I don't think the left-wingers of the world would be able to go out and find others to support them. Now, um, I'm unhappy uh, with what's going on in Ukraine. You might have just seen me tweeting uh, with my boy uh, out there uh, with, uh, with Keith Olbermann, uh, who said, Hey, Clay Travis, you finally found your home, the dictatorship of terrorist Russia, well done. And that's because a Russian TV segment, this is somebody else shared this, a Russian TV segment on transgender rights approvingly plays comments of Clay Travis on Fox News. And I responded to Keith, what is the truth? Which is, look, there are many people all over the world that agree with me that this makes absolutely no sense to allow biological men to compete against women in women's sports. And so first of all, congrats to Keith Olbermann, who won the woke title. Uh, first title he's won in his life. Uh, he's now been retired, joined Jamel Hill in the Outkick Woke Bracket Challenge. And a question I asked is, and this is a question that everybody has to ask, do you believe biological men should compete against women and win titles in women's sports? I don't. And I don't care whether that's cited approvingly in Russia or not, or any other country in the world for that matter. The vast majority of American sports fans agree with me that biological men should not be competing against women. So I don't understand how it's some huge gotcha to have Russian television sharing segments where I make that argument. Because I disagree with a lot of what any other country in the world is going to do. But if China was sharing my segment about biological women, sorry, biological men competing against women, I would agree with China on that issue that it shouldn't be happening. And I disagree with China on a whole host of issues. But I would agree with Chinese people probably on that one just because we disagree. This is one of the big challenges that's out there in the world today. There's this idea that if you agree with someone on something, it means that you agree with them on everything. No, they're all different. Look, ask my wife. She's been married to me for 18 years. Ask anybody who's been married out there. There's lots of things that married couples disagree on. Tons of things. Doesn't mean they can't be married. 
There's lots of things that I agree and disagree with, a variety of things that are going on around the world. But Russia, the fact that they agree with me, some Russians, probably the majority of Russians, that biological men shouldn't be competing against women, I agree with them on that, right? Same thing would be true of China. And I go after China all the time. Heck, I might agree with Kim Jong-un on that in North Korea. Doesn't mean we agree with a lot of other things. So they're trying to attack me as saying, oh, look, Russian television is playing a segment of Clay Travis talking about biological men competing against uh, women, and they agree with him. Well, that doesn't change my position. Why should the fact that Russia agrees with me on this make me angry or somehow delegitimize me? This is a really unintelligent perspective. Again, China could agree with me on this. The majority of Chinese people probably do. doesn't mean I agree with them on everything else. North Korea could agree with me on this. doesn't mean I agree with them on everything else. And by the way, the vast majority of Americans agree with me on this. All right? doesn't mean they agree with me on everything either. The, the, the attempt to tie you to a country based on one opinion that you may share together is a fallacy of the American left and another reason why I believe Elon Musk and compatriots of his should buy Twitter. A um, couple of other things. This is fun, all right? Uh, I've been able, uh, because we have uh, because we have basically gotten through a lot of sports that I watch, um, I've had a little bit more free time with, uh, with college basketball ending. So I caught up, I've been watching Cobra Kai with my boys. Uh, Cobra Kai, I know I'm late on this because inevitably when I share something like, yeah, welcome to 2019. I'm busy, all right? I wish I had time to sit down and watch four seasons of a show like as they're legitimately happening, okay? I wasn't. I just caught up with Cobra Kai. My wife told me she thought I 